Hello, and welcome to Letters from the Lunchroom, a podcast by Communities and Schools of Mid-America. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. Communities and Schools is a nationwide nonprofit which connects students and their families to local resources in order to remove barriers so that they will have greater success in school and in life. During this podcast, we talk to people who have a relationship with our organization. From students to staff members and alumni to volunteers, we know that people who connect with nonprofits have a story that led them there, and we want to know that story. Today's episode is the next in our Town Hall series. Episodes in this series were recorded at the 2019 Leadership Town Hall, an annual event in which people from communities and schools affiliates across the nation gathered to learn, share, and network. During this episode, we talked to four members of a group focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the work that we do at communities and schools. We get to know each of them better, including how they initially got connected with CIS, their favorite memories of working with this agency, and we hear a couple of their letters. Before we get to know them, we are going to start off this episode by sharing a portion of their panel discussion from the 2019 Leadership Town Hall. Please stay tuned as we head into the lunchroom. So joining us on the stage, um, I wanna uh, bring up three members of the planning team. Uh, they uh, have, uh, they exemplify and they represent the various layers of our work um, across the country. The, they are Sharon Beehill, Amber Rowe Mosley, and Johnny Cash, otherwise known as Peter Winchell. So uh, please join me uh, in welcoming them to the stage. Hey guys, <laughs> please don't break the glass. <laughs> it's a little close to my knees. I know. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm so excited that you're here on stage and being able to just talk about the work that we've been doing and your work um, individually in, uh, in your respective communities. So um, you are at uh, different affiliates. Um, have different roles and responsibilities. Can you introduce yourself and your name and your role um, and share what, you, what work you are doing regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion? Sharon, I'll start with you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm Sharon Vigil. I'm the Chief Operations Officer for CIS of Central Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I paid them to, to scream. <laughs> um, what that means is uh, I make a lot of plans, listen to a lot of people, um, and you know, making sure that we have the infrastructure that is needed to expand, to grow, and to serve as many kids um, as need our services. So um, some of the work that we've been doing is, uh, before Kim, I, I, I didn't know how, how to, what we, would, what we called it initially, um, but about a year ago, um, we started our, our process with doing an internal assessment. Where was our agency in DEI? From there, we had a sort of social bravery moment where we talked to our staff and we said, we will be focusing on DEI, and we will be focusing on race, particularly 
particularly, and we're going to do it together, and it's going to be an inclusive process. That has now led to reviews of policies, hiring practices, um, training our staff on implicit biases before they are part of a hiring team. Um, it also means that all of our executive leadership has gone to a courageous conversation and undoing racism. Uh, and so we've been really focusing a lot on operational growth um, and the operational infrastructure of DEI because a lot of the times um, our site coordinators are a little bit further along in the woke process than some of the people at Central and so we wanted to honor that. Yeah, awesome. Amber. Hey. Hello, I am Amber Rome Mosley. I'm a site coordinator in Federal Way, Washington State. Yes. yes. Um, we are actually the fifth most diverse uh, school district in the nation with 120 different languages spoken in our school district. Yes, so um, you know what site coordinators do. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've been doing on our campus is trying to go to the next level with our basic needs. So one of the things that I do is send food home with students like a lot of site coordinators do. But what I noticed was we had such a big population of refugee and immigrant students and they didn't know how to cook American food. They didn't know how to cook a box of macaroni and cheese. Um, and so we had to fix that because I'm sending food home that they have no idea what to do with it. So a couple things that I did was I did a cooking class so that we could cook boxed macaroni and cheese because mm -hmm. I don't cook, I don't do that. <laughs> um, so I could do that though. So we learned how to cook it, we worked through the instructions. Um, and then to go to the next step is that when we had our food drive, we made sure that we put some culturally appropriate foods as like bonus items so that we knew that we would get them. Um, so some of our students uh, from the Congo wanted rice and beans. That was important to them. That was important to their families. Um, so we did that. And then we also went another step further by making sure that we were getting African-American hair care products in our drives. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. It was a three-year process. We started with natural hair care, and I got like paraben-free Tresemme. No. So we're now at the place where we're getting Shea Moisture and Cantu and oil. And awesome. So yes, that's what I've been doing. I, I gotta come see. All right. <laughs> I don't have any hair, but yeah. Peter, uh, yes. Uh, I am Peter Winchell. I'm the executive director for Communities and Schools of Bay Area, <laughs> which is right outside of Houston, <laughs> which is in Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I see yeah. you got bigger. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I'm honored to be here. I have been executive director for Communities and Schools for 20 years. I've been with com Communities and Schools for 23. And so the majority of my work has really been developing a diverse board. And um, I've taken it in steps beginning about 20 years ago, um, looking around the room and saying, why are we all white male? And so the first step that I took was to begin looking at uh, women who uh, um, are in leadership positions in businesses, and it just made sense. And then a few years later, I looked around and said, okay, we have a nice balance of, of women and men. We're all white still. <laughs> and so then going and looking at minority-owned businesses 
and what that's done for our agency has really um, helped provide a, a diverse revenue. So, you know, the bottom line for many of us in, in positions like executive director, bottom line is um, return on investment and, and diversity has, has been a good return on our investment. That's awesome, that's awesome. So what are the challenges um, you're facing? What's been difficult? Like what has been the grind um, of the work and how do you overcome or deal with them? Yeah. Uh you know, I, I, I usually say people don't ever accuse me of moving too slow, ever. <laughs> um, and with this work, you have to be intentional. And so, you know, I, I always say that this work is, is, is very similar to sort of an African proverb that says, um, if you want to go fast, if you want to go alone, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's what this work is. It's about going together um, and honoring where everyone is and honoring their story and their journey. And so that means it takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of relationship building, and sometimes you wanna move faster than trust is, is not there yet. Mm -hmm. And so for, for us, it's been that. And I think for me personally, because I'm a fast mover, I wanna get it done. Why aren't we there yet? Are you kidding me? Like, um, right? Uh, this is not about that. This is about honoring individuals. It's about honoring their story and all of us going on a journey together. Um, and so I think it's that, making sure that, that we slow down. How we've overcome is uh, you surround yourself with people who remind you to slow down. Yeah. Um, I have a great team, I'm part of a great team in Central Texas, you heard them all. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is that it's about vulnerability, about saying, ugh, I, I, I heard that our social brave moment, you know, hurt some people's feelings, help me through it. Mm -hmm. um, how can I, who can I, and what should I do? And so allowing for that. Um, and so for us, it's about vulnerability, intentionality, and not forgetting that this work, at the core of it is about relationships. Yeah. And that's how we get through it. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, well, the challenge, um, one of the challenges I'm facing is one that we are all facing, which is inequitable school outcomes for our black and brown students and scholars. Um, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't okay. And so I started small, I took a complaint from a student, because I get them, and I took it to the principal. Nothing happened. Um, so I said, okay. So I took multiple complaints from students to the principal. Again, not much happened, got a little talking to, the union's involved now, and you've got to back up, and you're overstepping your lines. Um, but I don't, I, I do that, I do that. <laughs> My ED's here, <laughs> she knows that about me. Um, so uh, then I moved on and I brought in our equity director, and him and I had several meetings, and what are we gonna do, and how do we move through the tape, the, the bureaucracy, um, all the things that are done, and so we came up with a student group uh, named SOAR, Students Organized Against Racism, um, which is part of the PEG, Pacific mm -hmm. Education Group. Um, we were already doing some work with that with our staff, but we were able to bring the student voice piece to it, and so all of our high school site coordinators in our district are advisors to a SOAR group. 
And so we went through training last year with PEG as a big group, learning, helping the students to learn, helping us to learn how to have courageous conversations um, around so that we can make change. And so the goal is, yeah. now this year, we're in our action move um, to where the students are going to be able to change some policies that are happening at our school because student voice is, it's the best. You can't go wrong with student voice. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Lunchroom, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, so for those of you guys who are not myself, and since we don't do any kind of video with this podcast, I am sitting across from four people. <laughs> and I have never done that before. Um, so I was just sharing with these kind souls that I'm actually a little nervous. I think I'm intimidated because all of you are just looking at me. <laughs> so anyways, let's get started. If you guys would when did you first hear about communities and schools? Yeah, this is Peter Winchell. I heard about communities and schools uh, about 24 years ago, and I had uh, just graduated from um, uh, an MSW program and was looking for something that was comprehensive. And so I've been with communities and schools for 23 years and heard about communities and schools 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I fell into this position and have loved it every minute that I've been working with CIS. Okay, so we're gonna just go into a little more detail with you. Yeah, no, no, you're fine, I'm sorry. You were seeing my hand gestures, uh, <laughs> and, and we've just met, so <laughs> no, everything's great. I'm just, I'm interested. This is my interested hand gesture. So um, whenever you first started, you did not start as the ED, correct? Correct, <laughs> yes. So how did you first start? I, I started as the program director, okay. so I came in came in supervising the people who do the direct service. Uh -huh. um, what's interesting though is I recognized um, how communities and schools could grow. So I moved into the executive director position about three years later and kind of pushed the, the uh, first executive director out saying, please move out of my way because <laughs> I see great possibilities for the CIS program and uh, I, feel, I feel very good about about uh, what I've done with the with the um, with the board, uh, with providing more professional development for the staff, and um, so awesome. that's where I am. Oh, great! Okay, who wants to go next? Y'all are just looking at each other. Okay, Sharon's up. Yeah, Sharon's up from Austin. Um, so I'll tell you that I applied for a job at the national office about mm -hmm. five years ago. I and they had a big search firm. I made it to a second round, but I just it wasn't my time yet. Mm -hmm. And then about four years went by, um, and I was interviewing for a uh, ISD position. And my current executive director was on that panel. Um, I turned down that other position, and then I get a call from my CEO and said, we need you. And I was like, no, I need you. Um, the reality is that although I didn't have CIS in my life, I always say that um, when you think about a CIS student, that's that's sort of me. Yeah. Um, and so 
for me in my life, I always had a relationship. I always had someone who said, I believe in you um, and let's do this together. And I feel very lucky. And, and, and so I believe that CIS came into my life because I want to take the luck out of it. And I want every child to have a relationship because, you know, education was my golden ticket. And mm-hmm. I want to give that to everyone else. Yeah. And you often can't get um, the education piece without the relationship as well. Um, so, but you, you kind of started off with, you applied for a job at CIS National. Was that the first time that you heard about communities and schools whenever you were searching for a job and you saw the posting at National or had you it heard was. about these? No, no, it, 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 it was. And it was my first introduction. And then I was on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I then donated to the CIS of Austin without I mean, literally knowing about them beforehand. I mean, just the research that I did, the model. And at the end of the day, it is about relationships, right? It is about the relationships that come into your life. Um, and, 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 I, and I always say, people are like, well, how did you get here? Um, I got here because people believed in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only way that I can explain it. And, and I think that's what we do. We put people in kids' lives yeah. and we believe in them. Yeah. And that's so important. It really does uplift children and help them believe in themselves, especially if they are currently sitting on a, a bundle of just barriers and challenges that are making them doubt their ability to achieve those goals. And you put that person in front of them and say, I know you can, and I'll even help you along the way. And then just as we have seen time and time again, it, it actually it's proven to work and, and help those kids actually reach those goals. So, yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. All right, Amber, I think you're up. When did you first hear about communities and schools? Uh, Not as long ago, um, maybe four years ago, actually. Um, I was working in higher education, so I wasn't in K-12 education at all to have known about it. Um, But one of my former students, former players, um, was a site coordinator. And um, that's how I heard about it. And when I decided to leave higher education to pursue um, DEI work, it worked. Because I was an independent contractor, I could infiltrate what I wanted to put into with my students and um, really kind of disrupt the the education system from within. All right, you are up. Hi, uh, Stephen McCullough in, at the National Office. I first heard about uh, communities and schools um, over 10 years ago. I was doing uh, community building work here in Chicago on, um, on the west side, and part of that work was uh, working with Chicago Public Schools, and they were going through a patch of um, uh, school closings and introducing charter schools for the first time. Uh, And uh, community schools came up as a resource in our neighborhood um, to uh, really work with um, students that were most at risk Mm -hmm. of dropping out and, you know, grade level achievement, attainment and achievement um, work. And so that's when I first heard about communities and schools. That accelerated when um, I spent uh, a couple of years working with um, the former CEO of the national office, Dan Cardinale. Mm-hmm. Um, we were um, together through any Casey Foundation um, through their fellowship program. And that's when I really heard, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a lot about um, the impact, the work, the impact, and the difference that it made, not only um, in Chicago, but across the country. And, and so um, I came to the national office with that kind of knowledge and really felt like this work um, is transformative. I mean, it, it really 
has the potential of, um, has actually the practice and the potential of really transforming education as we know it mm -hmm. um, in this country, and we just need to amplify it um, as much as possible. And the work that everyone here is doing, everyone in our network, uh, it's um, for, um, it, it makes a difference, and that's what we're trying to articulate. Indeed. So since you have the mic, Stephen, mm -hmm. please keep a hold of it. Um, and what I'd like for you to do is to kind of go back. And if you don't mind sharing, I know there's a group here and we're going to sure. get a little bit vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, but tell me, what is it in your life that put you on that path to then devote so much of it towards giving back to mm -hmm. others? Yeah, I mean, I had a, I've had a, a very uh, different path. And so I was... Um, I worked for a Quaker Oats company for eight years, um, making oatmeal and Captain Crunch and Life Cereal. Um, I was in operations and worked in the plant in St. Joseph, Missouri, which is very far from Chicago, very different from Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, experience uh, exposed me to um, difference. And not everything, working in a plant in rural Missouri is um, very, you work with farmers, you work, work, work mm -hmm. with um, very poor um, folks um, working in, in the community and you're trying to bring um, your energy, you're fresh out of college and you're putting in a, you put in a supervisory role and um, that was an eye-opening experience for me to see you know, I knew what poverty looks like in an inner city, I didn't know what it looked like in, in a yeah. rural setting and that really exposed me um, to a different um, lens um, of, about education and, and poverty and work. And I went, came back up, came back to Chicago, still working for Quaker, went back to school, got my MBA, was really solid on a corporate track and became a consultant, um, made a lot of money, um, and but wasn't satisfied, you know, mm -hmm. and I felt like, you know, uh, before um, I, wa I wanted to do something before I got locked into a big salary that I couldn't get out of and hadn't bought a big house, hadn't bought a big car, about to get married, though. Um, and decided to make a shift and really decided, hey, I can use everything I learned and learn more in applying it to improving communities. And so I first thing I did, I ran a microloan fund for low-income entrepreneurs in Chicago, mainly in public housing, um, to you know get them on a better path. And from there, um, I went back into my home community on the west side and was there for 10 years. So did everything, we, you know, it was a comprehensive community development organization. We did housing, we did um, child care, elder care, community services, and uh, I loved it. I mean, it could, you can physically see the difference, mm -hmm. and that's where I got engaged with the education work. And so I feel like I've been around. Um, yes. What brings me, you know, my kind of guiding philosophy and principles is that uh, you know, uh, is, is really comes down to um, my grandmother who um, watched out for everybody. <laughs> and she was the one that gave uh, me my um, kind of moral compass and values that I still carry today. Like everybody matters, everybody makes a difference. You can yell out, out the window at a kid and tell them to straighten up, you know, and it's that kind of sense of community that I love about this organization because we do that. Amber does that every day. You mm -hmm. know, she, you know, talks to her kids and say, you know, you need, you know, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to show up. And, 
you know, this is what uh, I expect from you. And that's my grandmother, you know, and so <laughs> that's what I think about uh, every day. You know, somebody, you know, if they have to, you know, give you a smack of behind the head, that's what they do. If they need to give you a hug, that's what they do. Um, and I want to systematize that. I want to make that pervasive mm -hmm. in education across the country. And that's, that's the, that's the motivator. Awesome. Amber, did you realize that you were channeling Stephen's grandmother? I, <laughs> <laughs> I have, right yeah, I have such admiration for a site coordinators because, oh, for real. you know, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it takes something special to be in the school day mm -hmm. in and day out. Um, and really building those relationships with kids and, you know, and you can see it, you know, when you are in the school, you walk down the hall with your, with a site coordinator, the kids come in and hug you or the kids mm -hmm. come and tell you what their day's like. Kids come and tell you, you know, what problems they're having. You know, some of our, um, in Austin, you know, going, seeing Max do her thing, um, at, um, I forget, she, I think she changed the roles, but when she was at her school, I had a chance and they have this amazing space in the school where kids can come in and, just chill <laughs> nice. and they have a they have a clothing uh they have a clothing um space where there's you know uh clothes that are available there's a food mm -hmm. pantry there's you know all of these things but at the heart of it is the relationship oh yeah um that kids feel comfortable coming in and just um you know decompress um from whatever stress they're that they're having oh, um, yeah. in school or out of school so yeah i love that's what you know can we put this in a bottle <laughs> Uh, and yeah. can we can every school district in, across the country do this work? I know, right? I was actually uh, so I, I talked to such a variety of people on this podcast, and I have this this series that I call Site Coordinator Series, mm -hmm. and so those are some of my favorite ones to record because I think that it's really important for people who are not as familiar with communities and schools to continue to get a greater understanding of how vast that role is, yeah. and that you know we can make pamphlets and we can put down bullet points that kind of try to outline what we do but until you actually hear somebody talk about the variety of the work that they're doing it's hard it's to hard. really yeah. imagine it and so um, we've covered quite a bit of different supports that our site coordinators have provided on the podcast but I was talking to somebody just a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about how there was a student that they had recently lost due to gun violence and how she then as a site coordinator took on this role of being the support person who came into the school and was just this sort of study person for those kids that were mourning their friend but also for the teachers and that's why whenever I post on social media and I'm posting about site coordinators, I always use the hashtag, um, not all heroes wear capes, because I think that it's yeah. so important and mm -hmm. I cannot express adequately enough how important the site coordinators are in their roles and that it is so much more than the resources that we provide that are tangible, even though those are incredibly important. Yeah. But it is it is that relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, Peter, since you are next to Stephen, if you would not mind um, kind of delving back into your life to see where did it all start that put you on this path to devoting such a, a portion of your life to nonprofits and giving back? Okay. Um, it started uh, in the mid '60s mm -hmm. in Salinas, California. Uh, my mother and father um, have for all of their life done social ministry within the Catholic Church. And so my first exposure to 
injustice was uh, Cesar Chavez organizing uh, migrant farm workers to uh, help help with the oppression that was happening there. And my so that was my exposure in in second and third grade. And so I was you know on the on the picket line, um, you know, boycotting uh, iceberg lettuce. They really taught me about social justice, and so we moved to several different different places, uh, working on different areas of social justice. I found myself uh, right out of college, going into social ministry at a Catholic church. I then became very frustrated with the politics of the Catholic church, and uh, wound up uh, with the state of Oklahoma, working with juvenile delinquents. I was a um, a parole and probation officer, but my real role was a social worker. Mm-hmm. I did individual therapy, I did family therapy, group therapy with these kids. And it was there that I really saw what social work was, working with individuals and then working at a macro level for advocacy because I was in a role um, to be able to place a child in a group home versus their own home versus an institution. Mm-hmm. And there were criteria that um, a state office could say, this is where you need to place the child. But I had the relationship with the child. I knew what that child needed. And so I, would f- I, b- I became one of the, the people that the state office hated to hear from because I would call them and say, I don't like where you're wanting to put this person. I have the relationship. So I found myself really f- fighting for that. And uh, it really was uh, after I um, went to graduate school and got my MSW that I found communities and schools and said, this fits me so, so well Mm -hmm. because that is what we do. Mm -hmm. And um, this uh, DEI work has just told me we are on the cutting edge. We're on the cutting edge of of both both good social work practice but also good business practice too. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, a big piece of what I'm doing with DEI is the business side of that, having a diverse workforce, having a diverse board. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to bring it back just a little bit to what you were talking about with placing the, the kiddos and how you had the set of standards that would say you need to place them in option A, yeah. but you knowing the kids based on your relationship uh, meant that you had a better idea of what would be the optimal fit for them. And it really made me think immediately of our model and how we may have students that were like, oh, yes, I see that you are struggling because you are missing X amount of days of school or because your grades are, are you know, not where they maybe should be. But it's not just like that is where we end because we sit those kids down, we have that relationship with them, and then we figure out what is causing these uh, instances, and then, then that's where we start. Yes. And I think that's so important. So, yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised that once you found communities and schools that you were like, this is my fit. This, this is, is, a, this yes, is where I should be. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, Amber, you are next. Alrighty. So the question is, where was it in your life that led you to this point? So if it was way back or if it was... Right. Besides Stephen's grandma. Besides Stephen's yeah. grandma, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it was really an interesting question because I'd never really thought about it. I'd never really gone back and, and, you know, hearing you guys go back farther than I was planning to go. I could definitely see some pieces that shaped where I'm at. And I was part of 4-H because mm-hmm. I was a Midwest grow-up person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would go to um, 
the mental institution and run a carnival. And we had, I had that exposure. I was an exchange student in Japan. Um, so at an early age, I had some exposure to just different worldviews, different ways of doing things. Um, but really it was athletics that moved me through, I think. And I had a coach in high school that I just adored. And, you know, no one wants to talk to their parents when you're in high school anyway. And so I had someone that I could talk to um, without it being a parent. And it was an adult. And so that set me on my path to become a coach. And so I was a coach for basically all of my, my adult life until the last three years um, when my... My boss at the time said, you know, I think you would win more games. Not that I didn't win a lot of games. I did win <laughs> a lot of games. But you would win more games. You would win championships if you weren't so close to your players. Hmm. And as I reflected on that was when I decided I wanted to get out of athletics because that was what it was all about. Mm -hmm. It was about the relationships that I had made with my players um, and the reason why they continue to call on me as a mentor. They continue to use me as reference and um, that relationship of kids need somebody else in their life and another adult that can surround them and support them. And, um, I think that through athletics and through that coach is really what led me through that path. And then after being told that wasn't the way to do it, then, then I moved on to this where I can. Well, and I do disagree with you just for the record that you said you're no longer a coach mm -hmm. because I do think that being a site coordinator, being a mentor is another version of being a coach definitely I would agree yes I would agree I'm not an athletic coach Correct. like that anymore yes so yes yeah all right okay Sharon I know that you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier that you you felt like you were a CIS kid like you would be one of our kids you mean you, you weren't but that you were does that make sense yeah for sure so um, do you mind going I, I would have been referred I mean I, I had all the I had all the tickers and all the sort of you know tally marks um but that also didn't mean that, like, we didn't have aspirations and hopes for ourselves as a family. Um, and, 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 and so I'll tell you how um, I, st I really didn't even know that this is what it was. But, you know, um, my family and I immigrated to South Central L.A. when I was seven years old. Um, right? Shocker. Like, we had no idea. Uh, we know that we needed safety. We, we knew that we needed opportunity. And so at that point, South Central LA offered it for us. But that meant that you had three people who didn't speak the language. Um, and then you had me, who was fortunate enough to have and go to school and have an education. And so learning the language. And, and, and so then I became my family sort of PR, mm -hmm. um, figuring out, okay, well, okay, the teacher said this, so we need to figure this out. Or, hey, you know what, um, let's do health insurance time. And my dad's like, what do I do? And, and so to me, um, I was just telling um, the people here yesterday, you know, um, in education, we call that funds of knowledge. Those are, that is things that students bring with them to the classroom that aren't tested on, mm -hmm. right? At nine years old, I knew about credits and debits. At nine years old, I knew about PPOs, uh, right? And, and so the reality is that um, if you look at a child in a deficit way, you will never figure out. There, it, That's why I'm in operations, right? Like, I mean, I, I help run a $13 million agency with 164 people, but guess what? It's because at eight years old, I was given the opportunity from my parents um, to help make tough decisions and as for a family. So 
I think that's where it started Mm -hmm. is um, helping my family and helping us figure out what this system was and how we could get connected and get engaged and then also figuring out my role. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have the same childhood like that you see on TV, mm-hmm. but oh my God, it's really awesome because it prepared me for all of these <laughs> things, you know? Um, and so, so I, I say that I think my childhood, um, and knowing that, um, uh, just because you have lots of tallies mm-hmm. on, on, on a, on a sheet, um, doesn't mean that there's not hopes and strength. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was that is how do we change that rhetoric? Um, you have to change the rhetoric because our kids come with such strengths. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's really important. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, Earlier, you had also mentioned that there was somebody significant in your life that helped you out. Could you go into more detail about that? Sure. Um, So when I was seven, I refused to speak English, right? You uprooted me from Guatemala I would sing um you know like the Guatemalan anthem (laughs) when like they asked us to stand up I I had a little rubble in me already um but I'll tell you that um I, I started to speak the language because I wanted to play I wanted to have friends and um there was my a one teacher who uh Miss Jones who said to me you know what, I want you to go to a magnet school. I think you have it. Um, And she said, but you have to take a test in order to get in. Um, And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you know, I had broken English. And when when we did spelling test at my home, everything didn't sound like it was supposed to, right? Because my mom would try to read it in English, but it became like Spanish English. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this teacher spent every summer teaching me to pass this test, worked with my mom to um, get her vocabulary up so that she is helping me with my spelling words. Um, She drove me, took me outside of South Central and said, this is Paseo del Rey. Um, You know, first time I had seen a beach. A little teary-eyed just thinking about her that um, she could have chosen, she could have chosen any other kid, any other kid. Um, and she chose me, and I feel lucky, but also guilty. And then I get to go to Pasel del Rey, and I was, and it was my first introduction to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was the only person who looked like like me at that school. And there I had another teacher, you know. So if I look back at all the opportunities that I've gotten, it was because people cared and because people chose to take time out of their busy schedule to not focus on themselves and on their families and focus on a kid. Um, and relationships, I, relationships have changed my life. And they saw the, the potential. And I love that. I love that so much. Okay, um, so thank you guys all so much. Um, I'm looking at the time. And we are about halfway through our time already. So I know that a couple of you have brought some letters. I would love to get into that. Um, I also would like to give you guys the opportunity to tell me what is the most significant or your favorite memory that you have had with CIS. So um, maybe let's do that first. Let's go ahead and, and whoever has one that is ready, that has popped up into their brain. 
or maybe it's Amber because she is stuck the holding yes, the mic. This is Amber. <laughs> um, man, there's a lot to choose from. Um, there's a lot to choose from, but um, I'm going to tell a recent one because this one is is close, and I just told you guys this last night. It's not all I do, I promise. <laughs> um, so I um, always have open at lunchtime. So I get a trillion kids in that eat lunch with me usually every day. And But it's been the first couple weeks of school. It's been a little bit slow, um, which is okay. And so uh, a couple of my senior girls, they're my day ones, been there since I started. They always eat lunch with me. Um, and so they hear my, my rhetoric all the time. So they're in there, and a new freshman came in. Um, who as an eighth grader was a boy and is now having more gender expression as a girl. Um, and she is new to me in that way. Um, and so she had a very nice dress, cute little outfit on, had come in and was pretty upset because was getting bullied. Of course, people staring, people saying things, all of the mean things that that kids tend to do. And I could see just a real hurt in her eyes and so her and I are talking and the best part of that though was that my senior girls jumped in and they said you know what (sighs) you know and they started to have the kid conversation around it and I could hear pieces of what I had told them come back out to this other student Um, and so it was just really a, a proud mama bear moment of like that's where we're trying to get to where I don't have to lead the conversation anymore that my students are understanding what's at stake in people's lives and how they feel about themselves, and they're jumping in. And it meant so much more to that student that a senior girl, you know, was mm-hmm. talking to me. And, um, and these aren't kids that shared a lot of commonalities at all. I mean, not many at all. So um, that was really kind of the best part. If you share commonalities, you would expect that camaraderie and um, but these, these, these kids were as different as they could be. And that really was a proud moment for me. They were just being good humans. They were being other. good <laughs> humans. Exactly. exactly. Wow. Yeah. And I love that because it's such a ripple effect. And I mean, it really, it comes back to you mm-hmm. and the work that you do. And thank you for You're that. Welcome. Yeah. Are you up, Peter? I'll go next. Okay. Um, and this is Peter. Um, the, m- one one of the memorable uh, moments I have is um, meeting a girl, uh, and I'll call her Maria, who is a CIS student. Um, she had been referred to um, our site coordinator because she was in and out of um, um, in-school suspension almost every day. So the assistant principal came to our site coordinator and said, can you get under, get, get the underlying cause of what's going on? So our site coordinator uh, met with her, and, and uh, she had some, you know, several barriers that were were, were causing her to act out and get into um, into uh, in school suspension. But one of the things that she did with her is she recognized um, some qualities, some leadership qualities she had, and she was right next door to um, a special special needs uh, group, and so. She introduced her to to these kids who um, were had other struggles, mm-hmm. and one of the things that she did was she did some um, she she uh, decorated some um, t-shirts with the kids and tie dyed them, 
and she was so proud of being able to just work with them and teach them how to do that. And then she went back to the site coordinator and said, would you mind going to the principal and asking if these kids can wear their tie-dye shirts on some Friday? My site coordinator said, no, you ask. And that I think that the, the transformation that, 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 that happened to that girl was mm-hmm. just so empowering. I mean, and that's what it was empowering her to do that. And so mm-hmm. when I, because uh, I, m- I met her and, and, and she sh- shared this sto- story with me, it was like, okay, that's, that's what this is about. And uh, so I love that. one of my most memorable moments. Thank you. Um, this is Stephen. And um, I think I, the, this past year has been a whole memorable moment. I mean, I, I look back at uh, uh, when we started the, this work around diversity, equity, inclusion uh, a little over two years ago with the National Board of Directors um, and seeing them struggle with uh, the conversation, mm-hmm. seeing, that, seeing us struggle as a national office, as a network about uh, data and how can we look at um, uh, or just uh, you know look at disaggregated data and see there's some we have some issues with populations of students that you know we need to correct and um, but the most memorable piece of is right now is just you know seeing all of the work that we've done as a planning team and the design team before that we've come a long way in a short period of time and to see us dedicating a uh, leadership town hall to it is pretty significant it is (laughs) Uh, and uh you know i just think you know two years two and a half years ago this was so far from uh anybody's you know thinking that you know we would kind of dedicate this time and effort and you know and person power to uh, you know, really drill uh, on this and then come out with a tangible plan and and work and a commitment and an investment of time and money and um, just become a thing. It, it is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it it's is. A thing, so, yeah. Well, and one of the things, hold on to that mic for just a second, um, that I think is really cool, but honestly, I didn't even put it together with DEI until just listening to you speak at, at this moment was the uh, What We Are Made Of. Mm-hmm. campaign and that's right that's def- yep. that's part of it that's that is absolutely <laughs> part of it uh, that's a so part cool. of it and you know all of these you know kind of uh forces are coming together so the campaign just feeds into um the diversity equity and inclusion work it mm-hmm. all you know all in for kids and mm-hmm. you know all you know all of those kind of messaging and branding prompts are all coming back to um, knowing ourselves better mm-hmm. so we can know and serve our students better. So yes. that's that's what it, this is all about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so for anybody who wants more information on that campaign, it's a really cool campaign. It is at whatwearemadeof.us. Yes. And uh, you can see some, uh, there's a video that kind of shows yes. how the projects themselves were made. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but uh, it is incredible. And uh, I'm actually going to be speaking with a couple of students that participated awesome. in that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited to yeah. hear their point of view on things. Yeah, yeah. they have, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I look, yeah, I look forward to hearing what they have to say. Great. All right. 
um, I think one of the most memorable things for me um, in this current position and at CIS is um, when I got my job, um, you know, you, you do the, you do the rounds, you do the, t- you do the school tour. So um, I wanted to go to every school. We had 68 at that time. Um, uh, and so I went to every school and, um, and then we invite our kids. Right. And, and, and I would get this miss, miss, man, I'm so happy that you're the boss. Uh, <laughs> Miss, miss, um, wait, wait. So you're like you, you're the, you make the decision. Miss, miss, right? And then you get staff who are like, uh, oh my god, we um we didn't. I'm 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 the first person of color on the executive team on in my nonprofit, um, and so they're like, oh my god, like uh, no. And so I think it was that, and it was the realization that I take things for granted. And that you take your presence for granted. Um, and so this past year, my affiliate has been working on diversity, equity, and inclusion intensively. It started off with a TED Talk where we told our staff we will be focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we will be focusing on race a lot. Um, and, and so we drew a line in the sand, which is a little scary for people. But that's the decision that we made um and you know we now have a three-year plan we've reviewed all of our policies all of our staff members all of our staff members are going to get um training on courageous conversations we've now embedded i mean so um we are on fire and it was because you realize oh wait um it's not just a big deal for you as Oh my God! Look at I made it! Like I'm in the ground. Oh my God! <laughs> but then other people are like, "Hey, Miss, Miss!" Like, and 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 so I, I say that I say I this agency has embraced diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. and we have put our money where our mouth is because yes. we are paying for things, and because we're also um, engaging people and operationalizing it. Mm-hmm. So that's what's been memorable for me is it's been tough. But it's been some some good, good work. Excellent. Okay, we are going to move into the letter portion. And Amber and Sharon, you both brought letters. Um, I know that you have been working on yours, sort of refining it this morning. So Sharon, since you already have the mic in your hand, if you don't mind sharing your letter with us. Sure. Um, I've worked with kids for a very long time, right? So you just don't become a COO or or you don't just become like you there's a lot of groundwork that happens um so uh it really became really personal um so I'm gonna get a little teary-eyed uh to all my students then now and in the future I am a better human because I was able to work beside you I went into our relationship thinking you needed me when in actuality I needed you you gave me the courage to push back on the system You gave me the words I needed to become an advocate. You gave me the stamina to work threefold. Because of you, I grew up. Thank you, my friend, because through you, I learned to embrace change and differences. I also want you to know that you will get through this. Remember, school is important, but it's not everything. If numbers aren't your thing, That doesn't mean you won't be able to lead a communications department. If writing isn't your thing, that doesn't mean you won't be able to become the chief operations officer of an agency. Your life's work 
will be to figure out your strength and play to them. I want you to know that you will have setbacks. You'll be passed over for a job you think was made just for you. Been there, promise. But I also promise your other dream job is just around the corner. You will get laid off. You will not be the right fit. You will see challenges in your future. I promise you that. And when those things happen, may you always know you are strong, capable, and above all loved. And I leave you with my favorite quote. You were once wild here. Don't let them tame you. With strength, power, and love, Sharon. Thank you. Hold on to that mic for just a little bit, Sharon. So I know that you refined that letter, but whenever you sat down to initially write it, did you find it difficult? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, uh, yes, because I started writing it with my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I started, it shifted to writing it with my heart. Um, and then it got easy. Good. Um, so, so it, it was, you know, what do I want them to know? I, I want uh, it, it was that, but then I said, you know, um, once, once it was like, oh crap, they gave me more than I ever gave them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, it, 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 it was, it was that. So I think when I started working with my brain, it, it got hard, but then I moved into the heart and that's where the heart work began. Excellent. And uh, one more question regarding this letter that you have just read. How do you feel reading it out loud? I feel grateful. I feel blessed. um, And I just feel honored that I've been able to walk along some really awesome kids, been able to walk right beside them. Um, and I'm just been honored that they've led me and that they've allowed me to grow up at the same time. So I just feel blessed and honored and just overwhelmed with gratitude. I can see that. (laughs) Okay, Amber, please read your letter. Tough act to follow here. Sharon. All right. Dear my people. (laughs) I wanted to write you a note letting you know how much I appreciate having all of you in my life. You teach me daily about what it means to be you. You share your joys and trust me with your struggles. You have helped me to be a more understanding person and an even better parent. I hope in our time together you have also learned from me. I hope you have learned to be authentically yourself while allowing others to do the same. I hope you have learned to never let your voice be muted, to always advocate for yourself and communicate how you are feeling because it is yours and it is truth. But our words have power and you cannot take them back. So use them wisely and never use them to spread hurt and hate. I hope you have learned to ask for support when you need it because no one gets there alone. I truly, truly hope you have heard me when I talk about the history of our country and how we got to this place and you, yes you, will be the one to dismantle the many systems of oppression that have held your and our communities back for as long as we can remember. I believe the best education doesn't always happen inside a classroom. 
Sometimes it happens in a cramped office space with everyday people having everyday conversations that broaden our view of the world and our place in it. I believe in you. I love you. Now get back to class. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I will say something. I I don't normally get two letters in one episode. Um, So it's, it's very easy to kind of do a little bit of comparison. And the letters that I hear, even though we're in your net, we're like halfway through season two, or I guess we're still in like in the beginning of season two, um, is that they've all been so incredibly unique. But just sitting here listening to your back-to-back letters, you guys both said that you love your kiddos. That's so huge. <laughs> and I think that that just says so much um, for us as an organization and, and how we we really back this and we go in vulnerable with our students to really build those relationships. So um, same questions to you. Whenever you sat down to write your letter, did you find it difficult or did you find it easy? Um, I felt it difficult to keep it letter-wise short. Like, sure. I just wanted to keep going and these things. And, um, you know, I loved what Sharon said, and I felt the same sentiments, that I've learned mm-hmm. so much from my students that um, every day I'm, I'm just a better person because of them. So, um, but no, I didn't find it difficult. I didn't find it difficult, and, you know, I'm probably going to print it, and I'm probably going to hand it and put it in each one of their hands. So. That's excellent. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. And so then as you read it aloud, um, sort of what feelings came up? Um, I think just hopeful, Mm -hmm. just hopeful for our future. Um, just hopeful that, cause they are our future Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm, I'm grateful for all the lessons that I've learned through it. And, and so those things start coming back and, and knowing who I've become because of them. So um, it's, it's, I, I don't want to repeat what, but it is, it's just a overwhelming gratitude, um, honored to be around them. I, I much enjoy them more than adults most of the time now. Um, it's just so pure and authentic and, mm-hmm. and, you know, untamed. Like I love it. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, guys, um, in honor, uh, there are no more letters, correct? No. Okay, okay. just making sure, and it's totally okay, that is totally okay. Um, we have about uh, 10 more minutes, I did promise to keep this within a certain time span, and so um, I want to do our um, wrapping up portion of the episode, and so for those of you who are familiar with our podcast, we do um, extra credit at the very end of it, and so I'm going to ask each of you guys the same question, so it's not really cheating though, because it's your individual answers, um, but we'll just kind of go up and down the group. Uh, Stephen, apparently it's coming your way. Okay. Okay, <laughs> so right. the first extra credit question for all of you is, what is, like, the one song that whenever it comes on the radio, you cannot help but sing along to? Um. <laughs> I was like, what is this face? <laughs> Are you okay with that? No, 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 I'm good with that. I'm just trying, there's so many songs, like, I, um, so... Uh, doesn't come on the radio a lot, um, but uh, uh, there's a couple of versions of Higher, higher Ground. Um, mm-hmm. There's one Stevie Wonder version. There's a Vanessa Williams version. Um, there's a Red Hot Chili Peppers version. Is there really? Yeah. Oh, I have not heard that uh, one. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Whoa, so okay. Higher Ground. Any anybody sings that song. Any I, version. I get amped. Uh, cool. Yes, yeah. Awesome. Love it. Okay. Peter. Okay, I'm I'm going a completely different way and that's <laughs> um I love Queen. Yes. <laughs> and so any song by Queen, I start 
singing along with it, but probably We Will Rock You. Oh, very nice. I just, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't really do the don't radio. Because I think we would have the similar We would. Maybe. No, maybe not. I'm thinking of a ton. <laughs> um, I'm going to go current, but right now I'm Lizzo. Truth oh, hurts. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's happened a few times where I'm thinking something and she just I took it. <laughs> karaoke it. We got no, the mic. I am team Lizzo as well. I absolutely, I, I, I don't think that there is an artist that I have jumped on the bandwagon for as yeah, quickly yeah. before. Like, yeah, all it's just like, and at first I was like, who, who's Lizzo? And then I was like, oh my gosh, no, I am all about Lizzo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just to be clear, that excitement was between Sharon and Amber. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Sharon, you actually, was it any Lizzo song? Or sorry, Amber, was it any Lizzo song or was it a specific one? I, I said Truth Hurts. I sing oh, that did? one a okay. lot, but I do love Lizzo and all, yes. Yes, yes. What? <laughs> the one Tiny Death? I don't know if you guys saw it. I didn't. NPR Tiny Death. Yes. The Lizzo episode was fire. Okay. <laughs> it was all of that. Okay, I, I think that that caught you, but in j- in case it didn't, I'll I'll oh. okay, yeah, go ahead. Okay, with you. Go sorry, ahead. I just okay. met, um the the Tiny Desk concert on NPR. Lizzo um had a had her Tiny Desk concert. It was it was all of that. It's worth catching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. Okay, so is is Lizzo the same for you then, Sharon? Of course. And any <laughs> specific song? I, I mean, we are jamming to all of her. Um, album. I, I still call them CDs, though. But my kid, I'm like album. <laughs> but Truth Hurts is, is is my go-to, and I have a I have a, a two and a half year old going on twenty, uh-huh. and um, he loves that song. Yeah. So yeah. So it's 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 our jam. It's it's what, it's what we've been. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Totally. I knew she was gonna take it. <laughs> Okay, so since you have the mic in your hand, you can start off with the the next question that we have. And so that is, if you had one superpower, what would it be and why? Everyone else just sat back in their chairs to start thinking. It was really funny. You know what? I'm going to make it, like, light. Groovy. Uh, I'm I'm just going to do – I think I'd like to have – oh, well, never Go with your first instinct. I was just going to say um, sewing. Okay. <laughs> That's surprising, but go ahead. <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs> you know, I just, I, you know, I'm just thinking of like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, all the stuff you could do with sewing yeah. and all the things you could do. And I mean, I, I, I would, I, I know I can learn, but if it's a superpower, you don't learn it. It just comes to you. Sure. So that's why I was saying, I wish I could just do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, like invisibility and giving, I mean, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Unexpected. My boys and I talk about this like a lot. Okay. I've had many different answers over the years of when I have to come up with one. But um, I think it would be um, to be able to fly. Yeah. I would want to fly. So what? Wh- why? I just think to be able to just be that free, I think it would just mm. feel so free to be up in the air like a bird and fly. And so I would go with that one. Awesome. Okay. Peter? I'm going to go with courage. I would like that as a superpower, and I say that because I want to build that superpower. 
Um, this DEI work has been so eye-opening for me. And the last two and a half years have been um, very disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. The polarization of this nation. And I continually want to build that power of courage because I am a white middle class male. I recognize I have privilege and I recognize the other superpower that I need is understanding of those who don't have the privilege that I have. So I want to build that power of courage to continue to understand this DEI stuff and make a difference. That's lovely. Wow. Um, so this is Stephen. I think um, I would be like uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, okay, like, yes. Yeah, so who can kind of uh, shift uh, time and, uh, you know, alter, um, you know, alter trajectory of, of um people's directions and mm-hmm. so yeah that would be the my superpower you yeah. know being able to <laughs> yeah. everybody else is like so jealous yeah. <laughs> like man i wish i would have thought of that yeah. so. no that's a good one okay final extra credit question before you guys go what is the number one reason why you feel that people should get involved with communities and schools So this is Stephen again. I think the number one reason um, is that each um, child has potential and the ability to um, continue to grow this country. And um, we are, as a nation, we're still in our infancy, I feel, um, compared to other nations, and we still got a lot of growing up to do mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in order to reach our potential. And the only way we can reach it is that if we have um, students um, who um, can learn, who can build on it, to, who can improve it. So our investment in them is it's critical. Agreed. The first thing that came to mind, this is Peter, um, was we make a difference. And around that, um, it is about relationships. And the more and more research we do on relationships, relationships have a significant, make a significant difference in the development of the brain. And we're trying to get kids to overcome barriers and part of the barrier is they can't understand what's going on at school because poor relationships have caused some impairment in that development. Mm-hmm. And what we do, the foundation is relationships. It does make a significant, significant difference. And I've seen it happen. Yeah, yeah this is Amber. Um I think you should get involved with communities and schools because, to me, it's very tangible work. Um, it's not just for optics. Um, it's it's on the front lines with the student, one-on-one, building relationships. Um, the things that I am able to 
support them with, they don't come with red tape. They don't come with applications. They don't come with all of those other things that are barriers even to getting the support that you need. And um, it's just very, very tangible and real. Uh, so I, I think you should get involved with communities and schools uh, because our model is simple. It's not complicated. It is about the heart. It is about love. It is about caring for others. And I change a little bit of the Bill Milliken, you know, um, quote, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that we're trying to change kids. Mm. We're trying to change their trajectory. So, so I say the reason why you should get involved, it's because it's not programs that change the trajectory for kids. It's people. And at that is what we are. We're simple. Mm-hmm. We're simple and we work. And you're living proof of this. I am. Yes. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you for taking time to let me hear your stories today. Thank you so much for sharing those stories, for being vulnerable, um, and just for all the work that you do. I truly appreciate it. And uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Letters from the Lunchroom. For more information on communities and schools, please check out communitiesinschools.org. You can find information about the MidAmerica affiliate at cismidamerica.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on social media at CISMidAmerica. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge, and until next time, class is dismissed.